Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. back episode 28 of hashing it out as always i'm dr Corey petty here with colin Couchet. say what's up colin what's up colin and today's episode we are <laughs> i can tell you're starting to pause like man is he gonna Wait really do this He's forever do it every single one of them every single one of them <laughs> today's episode we're going to talk with uh panvala we have Niran Babalola from uh, consensus diligence talking about a new product or a product that they're offering called panvala not even a product, more of like a, I would call it a, like a decentralized, Colin put it as a decentralized verisign as we were talking about this before you joined us. So uh, welcome to the show. You want to give us a quick introduction as to kind of how you got started in the space and then also with Panvala and what it is? Awesome. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, decentralized verisign is a great analogy for what we're building. Uh, so for me personally, like I, I got involved in the Ethereum ecosystem back in early 2015 or so. Uh, I came across a project called Augur, and uh, I'd, I'd heard about prediction markets before. I, I'd heard that if you let people bet on the outcomes of future events, uh, the results of those bets, basically the ratio of them, could give you a good forecast of those future events. Uh, but those systems tended to get shut down or restricted because they were seen as online gambling effectively. Uh, so if you could build a decentralized system that couldn't get shut down, then you could probably have more forecasts for more kinds of events, uh, higher trading volume. You could have more information that people would have available to be able to make decisions about what they wanted to do in the world. So uh, that sounded pretty appealing to me. I dove in, and that's when it really became clear what Ethereum was useful for to me. Uh, when I first heard about Ethereum, I was like, oh, this is just another scam coin. They took Bitcoin and they stuck a programming language into it. And they're telling people that that's going to make their token worth more. Uh, it turns out that you definitely want a programming language in your money. Like if your money doesn't have a programming language, you should probably get a programming language and put it in your money. It's extremely useful. Uh, it became clear to me that you could basically, uh, for any interaction between individuals or among groups of people, uh, you could basically write a set of rules like a board game. And for any interaction that those people wanted to participate in, once you handed over those rules to those people, as long as that interaction was producing effects that they enjoyed, the, there was more value coming out of it for them than they were putting in, they'd be able to continue to participate in that interaction for as long as they wanted to without ever needing to rely on anybody else. They could just do it themselves. Uh, and that was kind of a mind blown moment for me. I was like, oh, there's probably tons of things, uh, tons of uh, interactions people would like to participate in that add value for everyone who's cooperating, uh, but it's hard to enforce rules. It's hard to get everybody together on the same page. And if we can build these systems, people would probably cooperate on a lot more things that they can't currently do. Uh, so I quit my job. I tried to find every company that was doing anything in the Ethereum space. It was very early at that point. There weren't that many companies. Uh, eventually, I came across Consensus, and they had this vision page on their site. 
And it was like, oh, we see this technology is creating a new political, social, and economic operating system for society. And I was like, oh, uh, these, these are my people. <laughs> this is a place I should probably work. Uh, so I banged on the door for long enough and uh, eventually uh, they let me in and it's been pretty cool. Uh, I, I started working on Gnosis, continuing the prediction market angle. Uh, then I worked on a couple of prototypes for decentralized nonprofits. Uh, the first prototype I launched before DevCon 2 in Shanghai, uh, and that was pretty interesting, I think. Uh, the second prototype I never actually got to launch. Like one of the main reasons I was building these prototypes without any tokens involved is because I thought it would have reduced the legal issues that I would run into. I'd just be able to put it out there and let people use them uh, without having to wait years <laughs> for things to be clarified. Uh, but with my second prototype, I faced those legal issues anyway. So I was like, okay, first of all, I need to put this on the shelf and find something productive to do. And second of all, the next time I look at this thing, I'm going to put some tokens in there and figure out how to use tokens to coordinate a decentralized nonprofit. Uh, so I've been doing smart contract auditing uh, for about a year and a half or so. And while doing that, uh, we came across this idea as a team that it would be very useful if there was some sort of registry of which contracts had been audited, which contracts are safe enough to use. Uh, that became like an idea that was clearly valuable, but it didn't seem like enough to make a token system work necessarily. Uh, people have differing opinions on TCRs, token curated registries. Uh, it didn't feel like that alone would be extremely successful. Uh, but going back on what I'd thought through for decentralized nonprofits, if you could build a system that made Ethereum safer and basically coordinate contributions around that, that to me seemed like something that combined with setting a standard in a decentralized way for smart contract security, like something that a lot of people would want to participate in. Uh, so that's effectively what Panvala is. It's a it's basically consumer reports for smart contract security. Uh, we want to make sure that when people are interacting with smart contracts, that it's not just some random address that they're seeing. They don't know who wrote it. They don't know who audited it. They don't know if the audit was any good. Uh, they, uh, they don't even know if the code that they're using is place gets uh, so it's kind of a disaster and if we could uh, set a standard for what's safe enough to use and make those recommendations I think we would clear a lot of that up uh, by having a standard for people to aspire towards uh, combined with that our system issues grants denominated the tokens of the system itself so if you can uh, fund things that people want to see in our ecosystem that make ethereum safer in general and then find the funders for that same stuff to make our system sustainable. Uh, we want the tokens going into the system to be the same as the tokens going out of the system. That's not grants based on some sort of speculative value. We actually wanna find the funders for the things that we're issuing these grants for and make a sustainable system that can fund all the things we wanna see. So I would say you've either said that before or you had been wanting to say all of that before because that was a good, that was a really good kind of like, this is how I started. This is how I got to where I am all in one bucket. And I have a lot of questions uh, from there. <laughs> like, awesome. Um, Colin, do you have anything in particular? Because I'm trying to figure out where I want to start with this. So my understanding of Pinvala is that um, people can certify the validity and the, the, you know, the amount of, um, I don't know, the, the level of veracity that the particular smart contract has been vetted. Is that an accurate understanding of what Panvala does? Uh, that's pretty accurate. Uh, so it's basically uh, people who wrote the code, like the authors, the team that built this system, they're basically going to apply for a Panvala mark. 
they're saying that uh, we think our contracts are secure enough to meet the, this community standards. So we want to get a mark so the world knows that we met those standards. Uh, to apply, first, they're going to seek a recommendation uh, before they ever touch the blockchain. They're seeking a recommendation for some group that the, uh, that the token holders already trust. So we're initializing the system with a Panvalomark council, where we're just appointing some people and saying that these, this group is going to issue recommendations that the token holders can uh, overrule if they want to. They don't have to abide by the recommendations of this group. But that's the first place you go when you're trying to get a Panvalomark. You apply, the council gets your application, and then they decide on their own whether or not to recommend to the token holders that you get a mark. Uh, once you have that recommendation from the council or whatever group uh, gains respect in the ecosystem, uh, from there you go to the blockchain itself and you stake your tokens. You say, I, I'm basically get, I'm taking a pinball mark. Uh, somebody stop me. Uh, here's my recommendation. Uh, and that's why I'm trying to take a mark. I put my tokens down. These tokens are going to be there for the life of the mark. So if it ever becomes clear that I shouldn't have gotten a mark, I'm going to lose my money. And if the token holders decide that they don't support that recommendation and they want the council to stop making recommendations, I'm also going to lose my money. So if I just say, well, this council, I trust this council and the token holders actually don't. When I stake my tokens, I'm taking a risk and uh, they, you might lose those tokens if the, the council isn't actually trusted. Yeah, that's uh, so that's that's how you get a mark. I was, I was wondering about that in terms of like if there was like a time period in which um, your your funds were at stake. And since it's the life of the mark, that makes a lot more sense because I was imagining a scenario where people basically who were flying under the radar apply for a mark. No one really pays any attention to them. They get one and then they gain a lot of ground and people find uh, potential issues with their smart contracts uh, because it's, it seems as though it's a it's a system based on dissent. Um, and that you need people to actively go against the reasons for not giving a mark versus people just saying, hey, I want a mark. Hey, I want a mark. And so if that's the case, then the mark is worth nothing. And since it's the life of the token, as you gain traction and ground, which may potentially be ill-advised because, you know, like if you I'm trying to figure out how to say this, can people get a mark who don't deserve one? Right. It, uh Yes. So the, the, the guardrails to prevent that from happening are the token holders themselves are the final say. They're the ones who control whether a mark gets issued. If, uh, if they let someone get a mark who doesn't deserve it, they've kind of failed to defend their system, its reputation. Uh, if, if you issue marks to people who don't deserve it, that's probably going to reduce the number of people who want to apply for it because less people are paying attention to it. So you've effectively reduced the demand for your token by issuing marks uh, frivolously. Uh, frivolously. Uh, so they probably don't want to do that. So it requires active participation and you're bootstrapping that with a council. Is that correct? Yeah. So we view token curated registries a little bit differently than most people do. So it does require active participation in that you don't want um, marks to just be issued without any justification or based on a justification you don't agree with. Uh, but we think that with a council in place, that it really becomes more of a question of, do you trust this recommendation? And that's not a super high level of engagement that's required. You just, when you see these uh, pending applications and you see that uh, these two are recommended by the council, this one isn't, it becomes clear that uh, if you don't want unrecommended applications to get a mark, you should just challenge it. You don't have to evaluate the details of the application itself. You know, based on principle that you don't want unrecommended applications to get a mark. 
So you just challenge it. You didn't have to spend your time doing research on smart contract security. You just used your limited knowledge as someone who's in the <clears throat> in the Ethereum uh, community, uh, knows what's going on, pays attention to know that, hey, this, this isn't right. Like uh, we wanna make sure that our uh, marks are getting recommended by somebody, not just being grabbed by anybody who thinks they should get it. Uh, if the Penvalomart Council steers away from uh, what they should be doing, maybe they start issuing frivolous uh, recommendations. Then, then that's when you have to be an active participant and be like, "Hey, guys, we need to coordinate a new process for issuing recommendations and stop these guys from making recommendations." Can you you describe the the challenge process? Sure. So. We're, uh, we're building the system based on quarterly voting. So the idea is that there's effectively one to two weeks every quarter where you need to be paying attention to what has been proposed over the last quarter. So once the, this uh, period arrives, that's when challenges are open. So you can uh, start challenging any application that you think is shouldn't make it. Uh, if it wasn't recommended or if you don't like the group that's making recommendations, that's when you make your challenge. You stake the same number of tokens that the applicant did. Uh, <clears throat> if if the the a challenge uh, initiates a vote of the token holders, one token, one vote, and then the uh, majority rules. So it doesn't matter how many people turn out, uh, whichever side is uh, the majority, uh, that's the side that's going to win. So if you support the recommendation, uh, then the mark is going to go through and the challenger loses their tokens. Uh, if you oppose the recommendation, the mark isn't going to go through, uh, the applicant loses their tokens, and the whoever recommended it knows that they need to either like just stop making recommendations, change their process, change the members of the council. They need to change something to regain the trust of the token holders. So you're using tokens as a value added voting mechanism so that people will want to be able to cash out and sell their tokens. But my question is how many people really will want to buy the tokens? Um, so if you're using the token economy to drive your certification system, there has to be enough people interested in certifying the applications that are on the system. To me, it seems like you would have a lot more people involved in the system than people who want to get into the system which means that the uh, fungibility of your tokens is reduced because, well, I don't know if fungibility is the right word, but people might not want to purchase these tokens for that purpose. How do you incentivize people to want to buy Penvala tokens who are not so, developers? So uh, in, in terms of the uh, token holders that we see, uh, we don't want people who are just trying to invest in tokens to be holding our tokens. That's not what this token is really designed for. Uh, we see the people uh, who end up holding tokens as people who actually want to steer the direction of this uh, ecosystem. So people who want to be active voters, who want to be choosing who's on the council, who want to be choosing uh, which groups to support when they're making recommendations and which ones to not support. Uh, that's one group of participants that we see. Another group is people who uh, intend to apply for Panvala marks on their own. So if you already see yourself as a team that develops smart contracts, you think it's a good idea for a bar to be set for what's safe enough to use, and you want to participate in that system as an applicant, then you're going to hold those tokens so you have those tokens available when you're making your application. 
And then we also see people who uh, build wallet systems and block explorers that people are using to interact with arbitrary contracts. At the end of the day, they're the ones who are gonna be displaying the mark in front of people where they're actually making their decisions about which smart contracts to use. So we want them to have an influence over whether or not a mark is gonna be issued or whether it's not, because at the end of the day, they control, uh, we, 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 we don't think they'll wanna display a mark that they don't have an influence over. We want them to have an influence over the mark. Uh, those are the main groups that we see holding this token and using it on a regular basis. Um, there's one more group, so again, this is a system that issues grants in its own tokens. There's part of the token supply that's reserved for issuing grants uh, at a decaying rate over time, just like the Bitcoin block reward. And the people who are doing work in the ecosystem to make Ethereum safer, whether it's uh, auditing common contracts that lots of people use, building tools that make it easier for people to make uh, safe, uh, smart contracts, doing research that advances the state of the art, uh, the best practices that we use to develop these systems, all those people, uh, we want them to apply for grants and uh, receive grants from the system. And once they get those grants, they're gonna be token holders. They're gonna have the ability to steer uh, this, this ecosystem. So how are tokens distributed? Uh, explain this grant process to me a little more. Uh, so that's a good question. So basically, uh, uh, Penvala is a fixed token supply system. It doesn't inflate over time or anything, but what we do do is that uh, a portion of the token supply, right now we're thinking about half, is reserved in a smart contract. Uh, we call the smart contract the token capacitor. And what it does is every quarter, uh, part of the token supply in that contract is released to people who uh, is made available to, uh, uh, to withdraw. Any token holder can propose a destination for those tokens the same way that you propose a panvolumer. You stake your tokens, and if people don't like uh, what you proposed, they can challenge it by staking the equal amount of tokens, and then a vote occurs. So uh, what we want to happen is that uh, over time, we're uh, issuing less and less tokens uh, because there's less and less tokens available in this token capacitor smart contract. Uh, and that's why a token capacitor is a little bit different from the way Bitcoin works. Instead of tokens just coming out of the system, tokens can also go back in. Uh, we want people who like the themes that we've been issuing grants to, to basically fund those grants on the back end, to donate tokens to support the incentive to cooperate in our system. Uh, if we can find enough funders for the themes that we're issuing grants for, then we can build up a flow of donations that's equal to the flow of grants that are coming out of the system, and we can build a sustainable mechanism for funding the themes that we all want to see in this community. So I imagine that the goal of the value of this token is going to be reflective of the uh, man hours spent on trying to evaluate security of smart contracts. Uh, so to me, it's really more about the, um, so I, I have no particular opinions about the value of the token, but as far as what makes the token more useful, I think the more cooperation we can, uh, uh, basically coordinate with our token system, basically the more work that's being done to earn, uh, token, to earn grants from the system, then the more utility the token will have, the more people who are actually trying to get those grants and applying, uh, for those. 
the more people who are donating, uh, they're buying tokens on the open market to donate their tokens because they support what's being uh, uh, rewarded by the system. Uh, that's what makes it really useful. The, the more things that we can actually coordinate together in our community as work that's happening for Panvala grants, the more useful the tokens. I understand that, but there's like there's a there's a like a time cost associated with with these types of things, especially if you're staking tokens. There needs to be you're staking with respect to a certain amount of value that says that that signals how much um, I guess worth you think something is, and mm-hmm. and that's usually associated with the amount of uh, time or security you're willing to put behind whatever you're staking against, and it it hopefully the amount. Because this is going to be a lot of attention. People have to pay attention to a lot of these things to then, so that they can either um, say something against them and, and put up a rebuttal or stake things themselves based on what they see in the ecosystem. And and I don't if if the if the actual utility doesn't work properly, then people will gain the system or people won't look at it. It's going to be one of the two. If it does work, then it could be a really good like. I, kind of centralizing factor for a lot of the security industry to figure out what's working and what doesn't. And for those outside of that industry to look and see um, what they should be looking at or, or trusting if it has this mark, if the standardization of this system ends up working, people will have a better idea or a better amount of trust associated with the things that they're interacting with. But it's going to be hard because I, I imagine trying to get people to spend a lot of time on systems that aren't directly beneficial to them is going to be very difficult, especially because the security industry and blockchain is, is relatively small right now, although it's growing fast. And a lot of people are competing for these people's attention and time. Um, and it seems almost as though considering that you don't want people to really value the token outside of the ecosystem very much. Um, the incentivization model for doing the work necessary to validate um, doesn't seem very strong to me right now. Could you tell me why I'm wrong? So I I do think that uh, people will be incentivized to participate because they see that the more people that are actually paying attention to this mark, the higher quality uh, bar that we set for this mark, the, the more applications are coming through. So uh, I, I do think that the people who hold tokens will either sell them or uh, they'll hold them because they believe that they can shape uh, the direction of this ecosystem and they'll pay attention to do that. Uh, I, I, I go ahead. I'll say I imagine like I mean you could, you kind of have this wonderful engine to bootstrap it if you can get everyone in consensus to participate uh, because there's a tremendous amount of projects within consensus that would submit applications for this type of thing uh, and since it's a part of consensus diligence, you can try and maybe, you know, push that a little bit. But then you have this other side of the coin of like, does that then become a bias of, is this a consensus driven mechanism? And then you have this massive percentage of people associated with the consensus and not a lot of people outside of it. Uh, That's a very good question. Uh, (laughs) Within consensus, there's no way to force people to do anything. Oh, I know. So I, I, I'm, said, hey. yeah, I, I, mean, I work for Status. It's a similar type organization in terms of how it's structured. And I'm, it's hard to understand even what's going on within your organization, much less get people to do things uh, in a unified manner. Just the yeah. way the way, the way it's, it's structured and organized, which is interesting. And we're trying to figure that out ourselves. Like, what, what do you see associated with consensus, how this is playing out? 
so I do think that it's like uh, generally useful to be part of consensus. Like that's why that's why I work at consensus. Uh, but I do think that uh, part of the success of the system depends on being a broad based uh, system. If we only have participation from projects within consensus, I, I don't think that's success. Uh, luckily, I think there's a lot of people outside of consensus who see the value in uh, setting a standard for what's safe enough to use. Uh, we have a demo of our uh, of the process of issuing a Panvala mark uh, that's happening this week on Thursday. Uh, that'll probably be after. Uh, that'll probably be before a lot of people actually hear this episode, but uh, they'll be able to watch the video of what we did during that demo. Uh, but basically, we've bas uh, we've appointed a demo Panvala mark council. Uh, with people across uh, the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, so for this particular demo, we have uh, Mark Balin from the Bounties Network. Uh, we have Amin Soleimani from Spank Chain. We have Alex Chapman from Augur, uh, Chris Smith from Meridio. Uh, we have Jonathan George from Coin Mercenary and Joe Ergo from uh, District Zero X. Uh, so we're trying to get people from across the ecosystem to, who are interested in figuring out new ways to run TCRs we're interested in figuring out whether or not we can set a bar for smart contract security to participate in this process and see if it works. Uh, if, if we can't get people across the ecosystem to uh, agree that this is a good way to do this, then yes, you're, you're right, it, it won't take off. Uh, but I'm confident that uh, both by the governance mechanism that we put in place and the incentive mechanism of the tokens itself, uh, that uh, people are, wanna, uh, are going to want to be a part of the system I think it's something that's been widely needed for a long time. And I think uh, also being able to fund the things that we want to produce on a regular basis is just a huge problem. Uh, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of uh, work within the ecosystem that everyone's like, who pays for this? <laughs> like, how do we get this thing to happen? Yeah. And if we can organize <laughs> under one banner, uh, I think we can figure out who pays for this. So I don't want to bring up, this sounds a lot like the DAO the original DAO in a lot of ways um, in that people are kind of directing where value should go or where it is. Uh, but in, in this case, you're just certifying the validity of, of a particular thing. And that sounds great and all, but what, what, what's kind of concerning me and, and again, my concerns are probably not valid. It's just me trying to understand um, is can somebody amass enough tokens to be a trump card player in this and basically streamline certification. So if the mark itself has value, this is one particular application by say Microsoft. Microsoft wants to streamline the process. And they go directly to some guy who says, hey, I can directly get this mark approved because I have amassed enough tokens by buying them outside of the ecosystem in which everything's being certified. Um, to use them to get your applications directly certified immediately. Is that even possible? Am I misunderstanding how, how this works? I know you say voting, so I don't really know what that voting mechanism looks like. Maybe that would help me understand if I understood kind of what voting looks like and what qualification looks like and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's a very good question, and it's uh, a concern that we've thought through a lot. So it is definitely possible to buy enough tokens. Like if you buy 51% of the tokens, you can do whatever you want. No one can challenge you. Uh, what makes this different than a lot of other systems is that uh, since it's subjective, since the place where people put their attention is totally under their control, it's very easy to fork the system. Like if you decide that somebody is attacking it effectively, 
uh, because they've found uh, a, a way to get enough tokens to do whatever they want. All you have to do is exclude them and then carry on on your own. Like it's the, the, with subjective systems, it's very easy to, it's, it's very easy to uh, mitigate uh, attack scenarios because you can just look somewhere else. Like just don't look at what the attacker is doing and exclude them when you create a new system with, uh, without them. What do you mean by excluding them? So, I mean, yet say, say you see, let's just talk in more concrete example. Say you see somebody who's attempting this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do that, that voting um, to certify a particular uh, thing. They spend their tokens. So this is not one account per, well, even if it were one account per, per, per token per vote, they can still throw up infinitely many accounts that they need to, to kind of bypass the, the validity of the system. Um, each of those accounts would look equally the same as any other account. Um, how, how would you identify that kind of behavior? Um, given given the you know uh, sort of anonymity behind uh, particular accounts um, and the lack of KYC and you know um, the ability to um, have identity associated with these, how do you prevent people from um, essentially spreading their tokens across several hundred accounts and then using that clout to pay to get companies like Microsoft to pay, it doesn't seem very easily identifiable to me. They wouldn't have to have 51% in one account. They would have to have 51% in their personal possession, which is a totally different thing. That is very, that's very true. So uh, basically the, at the blockchain level, the blockchain is really just the court for whatever has happened in the social sphere. So let's look at what happens in the social sphere in that example. Uh, we have a process built up that is the way you get a Panvalomer. And if somebody bypasses that, that's a clear signal to the entire community that something is wrong. Somebody did something different, and now we have to figure out if the token holders actually support that different way. Uh, let's say there's this expedited Panvalomark path that somebody has created for their own application, and we don't know that they did this. Well, we, well, we, we know that they did this because they're saying that this is the recommendation for... Um, uh, Microsoft smart contracts. Uh, when it goes to the actual smart contracts, you're right. We can't identify who's voting for what. But at the social level, everybody knows what happened. If they don't want that expedited uh, path to exist, they just openly oppose it and they find the people who agree with them and they create a new system with only those people. Uh, that That's how you account for attacks in these token-based systems. You fork, you leave because effectively they're just the court for social systems. If something went wrong at the social level, if you don't support what happened at the social level, the what happened at the blockchain level doesn't matter. Uh, you just take your contracts and go home. So then uh, they're issued a mark, Microsoft got their mark. How do we know that Microsoft had their mark basically revoked in a sense through social means? Um, what and what does a mark look like? Actually, let's start with that registry. Very basic thing. I mean, it's a, it's a it's yeah. a it's a registry on the blockchain. It's it's sh- it should be obvious if you fork is because people who are going to refer to the registry associated with the one that they're they have most confidence in. If you fork, then that just it just changes where you're pointing to to reference who has what or who has what uh, marks on what contracts. 
exactly that. So in, in, a, in a fork situation, it's basically the people who build the user interfaces, the people who build the websites that are telling people what's going on with Panvala, they're the ones who have kind of the first uh, choice of which fork to point to. Now, once you choose a fork to point to, that might lose some of your audience. If your audience is part of the other camp, then maybe they stop looking at your site because you pointed to a different fork. It's a lot like what happens in Bitcoin forks and things like that. Uh, and then Coinbase has to decide, wait, which one is the real Bitcoin? Which ones are we going? Which one are we going to point to? Like a, they have a lot of clout in that scenario, and it's defining what Bitcoin is. In our ecosystem, it's whoever runs the sites that people are looking at. They really have uh, a lot of clout in defining what Panvala is. So if a fork happens, they choose which one they're going to point to, and their audience either goes with them or starts looking somewhere else. As far as what the mark looks like, uh, to begin with, it's a site that we control that's a registry of the contract systems that have been issued a mark. Over time, we want wallets and block explorers to integrate this into their UI uh, as an aid for their users to make safer decisions when they're transacting on Ethereum. So ideally, uh, when you send a transaction, there's a Panvala mark that appears as a badge in that UI, just like that secure badge appears in your location bar in your browser. I see what you mean. I'm curious to see if the level of participation uh, needs to be large for those who are uh, just trying to provide a service like that. I want to know like how much people can use and trust the token, but not necessarily participate in it because they're the ones that are most affected by forks like that. Because like you said, like it, things that happen on the social layer are understood at the social layer. But for those who are just like outsiders looking in, trying to extract as much value out of the system without participating in it will be affected the most because they're not a part of that social layer. Uh, that, that's a good point. Uh, and I think that will be interesting to watch play out over time. Uh, I, I think it's going to end up being a lot more stable than uh, people think. Like, uh, since there are ways to mitigate for various attacks that happen, the incentive to actually carry out those attacks becomes a lot lower. Uh, but we always have to have those uh, plans in place to be able to account for them if and when they do happen, because it's always a possibility. Uh, but I think good planning makes it uh, less likely in the first place. Yeah, I see this working relatively well for a long period of time and becoming somewhat of a standard for people to to kind of refer to in terms of overall safety of smart contracts. I mean, eventually I can see that happening because if we talk about the social level again, it's all good, willing, active people in, the, in, in a very small niche, passionate group. But as it gains value, you have a lot more onlookers and potentials and value in the system to try and um, extract value without following the rules. And so you won't really figure out um, some of these pain points until, I don't want to say, like well, until you already have a modicum of, of success. And that's kind of like that, that narrative I see across almost everything in this entire industry, not security, but blockchain in general, or technology in general, is that like, if you have a leaky bucket, but the hole in that bucket is closer to the top, you really don't know it's leaky until you fill it up. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of what we're doing here is we're trying to see with all this token economics and token curated registries and whatever the hell we're doing, we don't know if they break until we fill them up and we're still trying to fill a lot of these things up. But I can see like this being useful across the entire space uh, for a while. I definitely hope so. Like, I think at the end of the day, like token economics, token systems, 
<clears throat> are really just to back up what we do as people, what we do as communities. That I know that there are so many people out there who actually want to make Ethereum safer. Uh, so the fact that we're using a token to coordinate our activities uh, is, is, I think, a very effective way to organize people. I think it's the most powerful tool for organizing people that we've ever seen. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's people working together to accomplish the goals that they have. And when, when the bucket starts to leak, I think we're going to cooperate to patch the bucket. Uh, no one can plan ahead for every potential outcome in these contract-based systems. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what works. We don't know what doesn't. We have theories. Uh, but my theory is that as a community, we're, in cap we're capable of incredible things. And I think we're going to, once we get organized to actually accomplish our goals, it doesn't matter what system is underneath. It doesn't matter how many bugs it had on day one, because we're going to cooperate to fix it and move forward together. I hope so. Although I will say I've seen counterexamples to that, about a hundred of them maybe in this space as well, where people just fight and bicker and go their own way, which kind of brings me to like another question. Do you care if somebody copies your contract, redeploys it and creates their, their own um, Panvala with, you know, hookers and blackjack? Uh, <laughs> like, is that, is that something that you're even concerned about? Um, like, uh, like it seems to me that the, the value that is in your system is the value of the people that are participating in your system. Fragmenting that value is not good for anybody, but other people could maybe not see it that way. So we could have a parity driven Panvala. We could have a, um, a, uh, uh, you know, the Ethereum foundation creates their own kind of Panvala and then consensus has got theirs. And then suddenly um, who knows, VeriSign could see what you're doing and go, ah, yep, uh, we're going to use that too and integrate it into our product suite and, and, and market it to enterprise customers. How do you feel about that potential and are you even concerned about it? Uh, that's a good question. So on the one hand, for the code, I encourage people to copy the code and do whatever they want with it. Uh, for the brand, like I encourage people to not copy the Panvala brand. Like if you want to do something similar, uh, come up with your own name. Uh, but when it comes to various systems competing for particularly what's safe enough to use when it comes to smart contracts, I think, uh, for people to decide to compete rather than to cooperate, I think those people just don't understand the world that we live in now. They don't understand what tokens are, what they're for, uh, what they do. Uh, in this ecosystem, it's far more value is generated by cooperating than it is by competing. Uh, you can compete if you want, uh, but I think you're going to end up being a lot more successful uh, if you find all the people who want to cooperate with you and find a way to cooperate under the same banner. That's the principle that Panvala is built on. The, the idea that if we get enough cooperation happening for our grants in particular, uh, that that's uh, if getting all that to happen under one banner is what makes the system more and more useful. I think that's true for issuing the marks as well. And if people decide to do it uh, separately, uh, more power to them. But uh, at the end of the day, I've been trying to find every single person in this ecosystem who wants to have anything to do with any sort of system like this and finding a way to have them be a part of it. Because the more people we get to work together to make this happen, uh, the more useful the system is. Uh, if people want to go off and build something that competes with it, uh, I wish them the best of luck. <laughs> I like that answer because it reinforces what you're saying, but also gives them the ultimate freedom to do it. It's basically you made the argument of, hey, just play nice. It's going to work. Um, well, so it's, it's I, the I, whole it's the whole concept of the space. I mean, it's like every, each of these tokens is supposed to be some type of coordinate coordination 
tool for people who are interested in whatever the hell that token's used for. This is finding out what, like, I guess, signaling what smart contract security is. And then you can use this as a tool to, to do that. And so it should be useful to anyone who's interested in smart contract security. And the same thing for all tokens. It's just I, some like most of the tokens who are, who, that are going to fail don't have a clear message on what it's supposed to be useful for. So what you're coordinating around. And the underlying idea of any blockchain system is the network, not the actual blockchain. And that's associated with the people who are involved with using whatever assets that blockchain tracks. That's and, interesting to me the way the way you phrase that because I, something I was thinking early on, but I just decided it's probably not the timing to ask that question. I guess the time is now. Um, do you see Panvala branching outside of just certifying apps, um, DApps? Because it, it seems to me that this kind of mark, this kind of um, you know uh, scheme of verifying information could be categorized, and um, it has applications that are way broader than simply, you know, smart contract auditing or decentralized application auditing or, you know, um, I, you know, it just seems to me like this is, this is something that could apply to any sort of class of tokenizable asset as well. Um, anything that could be basically hashed and stored in a blockchain could also have some sort of certification mark associated with it. Do you see a, a marketplace or no, nah, I guess marketplace wouldn't be the word. Um, do you see branching different versions of Penvala or maybe extending Penvala to operate outside of the scope of, uh, you know, smart contract auditing? Uh, so that's a very good question. I've uh, thought a lot about this. I, I think in particular, both of the themes that Penvala does are themes that can be expanded. Uh, whether it comes to issuing a mark uh, for things that are safe enough to use uh, for smart contracts in particular, if we get really good at doing that, there's no reason for us to not get really good at other kinds of certifications. Uh, when it comes to issuing grants for things that people want to fund for whatever mission that they've organized around, uh, that's something where we started with a small category of themes that we're trying to fund. We're trying to make Ethereum safer. But if we get good at that, the, the more cooperation we can coordinate under one banner, the more useful our system is going to be. So there's no reason to stop there. Uh, if this system ends up being successful, I think we're going to look back at this time as a time when security started to really level up in our space. Uh, and if it ends up growing beyond that, then maybe it's when we really started to learn how to cooperate, uh, when we started to figure out how to get all the things we wanted to do together done. Uh, maybe we look back on this time as the time that the oceans started to slow their rise. Uh, I, I know a lot of people have heard that theme before, but maybe now it's actually true. Like as much cooperation as we can get done under one banner, the better. We're starting with making Ethereum safer, but if this thing actually works, like there's really no limit to what we can do together uh, as a society, really. There's the, the systems that we've built to get cooperation done can only get so much done and a lot of them aren't working really well right now. Uh, we have uh, governments where if you can get 51% of the people to agree that something should be done, maybe that thing happens. Uh, if not, it's really hard to coordinate. You have nonprofits where somebody who isn't skimming too much off of the donations decides that uh, they can get your funds in the door and spend it on what you wanted to do, then, then it happens. But there's so many other things that we want to do that we're willing to contribute to that we just can't find the way to get everybody on the same page, decide who spends what for what, 
decide what gets spent on what. I think if we build effective systems, we can radically increase the amount of cooperation that happens uh, as a society. Absolutely. But just... focusing on the mark for a minute, I mean, this can apply. This just the mark itself can apply to things that don't. So let's just give a, a wacky use case that is probably not really going to be reasonable anytime in the, in, the, in the nearest future, but I could totally see something, a system like this for meat certification, you know, food product certification of the, the, you know, is this USDA grade A quality beef? Well, right now we trust a particular organization called the USDA to go around and do the inspections and make sure that things are adhering to the quality standards that are, that are, um, that are there, uh, there's no reason why that needs to be a government organization if we could decentralize this. And there's consequences and reputation surrounding somebody auditing particular materials in, in the real world as well. Um, and to me, I really like the security play um, that you're doing uh, because it is an extremely adversarial um, environment, um, meaning that um, your, the contracts that you certify will be put to the test. Um, and this also is a good, you know, kind of like record keeper of how things are going and a good measuring stick for how the community is leveling up in security as well. Um, it's a good way to test this, this sort of, uh, model that you've built, but it's also a good way of kind of measuring the validity of, uh, groupthink auditability, um, and certification, um, as well as a measuring stick for how well the security community is kind of doing on a whole. So it, it provides some side services as well that I really like. Yeah, and you have to be, I think you have to be careful with, with trying to use this. Well, it shouldn't be Panvala's job to try and make this system work outside of the scope of what they're trying to do. It should show uh, how well this system works in the micro community that is Spark Contract Security. Then people can refer to it with that metric of efficiency to see if they could be used elsewhere. It shouldn't be this system becomes the way, like the Panvala network itself becomes the way in which we assess validity of all things. It's no, stick to this particular use case because that's the network that you're trying to build. The people associated with smart contract security should be using this token. And those who would like to do something similar should copy the code and do it elsewhere for that community or micro community or whatever it is, or government. And we had Glenn Weil on last episode who talked about radical markets. And a lot of the markets that he proposes will work for a lot of, well, could potentially work for a lot of things, but it's not one market to rule them all. It's, 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 the, it's the mechanism design associated with the market that makes that particular community operate and interact with each other appropriately. Uh, I, I definitely agree that uh, having one system to do everything is bad. I, I think uh, separate systems, especially like really competing systems, is really healthy. Uh, but I, I do hope that the Panvala community does decide that uh, expanding as their ability to cooperate increases uh, is a good idea. Uh, the getting more done, like trying to organize a new group of people in a new way to get some other kind of thing done is a lot harder than using the organized people that you've already brought together to accomplish the next task and the next task and the next task. Uh, I think, I think trying to organize everybody under one banner is a bad idea. And uh, I, I don't want that to happen. Uh, but I do think that expanding is healthy. 
Yeah, I guess appropriate ex- expansion. You know what I mean? Like, not like, you know, you're going to start assessing the USDA validity of meat from smart contracts. Like, I don't think that's the the avenue in which you see yourself going. Maybe there's some weird emergent avenue that happens far off in the distance when this becomes super efficient, but for right, that's not the immediate go-to, right? It could be um, the security layers on top of the smart contracts for decentralized applications. You can start assessing those types of things and using the token to do that. That makes sense, right? And that that's the that's, expansion that you see over time. That's definitely more the way I see it. Uh, if we get to meet, then this has been wildly successful. That should be your motto. That should be your motto. Future many, 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 many years out. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think uh, I think this is a test case. Is what I was trying to get at, and that it's the perfect test case because it's so adversarial. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's a good way to you know people need to have this happen. They need to have their their uh, contracts uh, you know audited. Um, they need this kind of uh, ability to know what is good and what is not good when, from a consumer standpoint. So it's a really good early test case because it's an adversarial market. There's incentivization models built into everything that people are doing. Um, there's skin in the game on all sides. Um, and um, it's a good way to know if your system is optimal or not and to optimize it before it gets to the case of, USDA meat. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a really good early start. So I think, go ahead. I I agree with that. And that's really why I encourage everyone who's like moderately interested in what's going on with the system to come be a part of this community. Like uh, when, when we saw that ICOs were a thing that started to work with heavy quotes on work, uh, there was this huge boom in ICOs. Lots of people started doing them and they they worked for a really long time. Maybe not so much anymore, but there was a boom. And I think if Panvala works, like if we actually achieve the thing that we set out to do, I think the next boom in our community is going to be people who just like rinse and repeat on the Panvala model over and over and over again. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like uh, it's it's competition, but it's it's a healthy competition. And if that's what you see for yourself as being one of the next uh, kinds of systems that get built, you should be a part of this first system, learn how it works, and go create more. Have you worked so, with, with other other companies or other projects trying to like flesh out how token curated markets work? Uh, yeah, we've been we've been talking to various teams in the ecosystem, talking heavily to the teams that built uh, the first TCR, the ad chain registry. Uh, talking to teams who are doing other work in security, et cetera. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for cooperation and uh, making sure that the information from all the experiments that people are doing end up getting spread far and wide. Uh, there's, It's so hard to get to a point where we know how to build systems that work. And it's really from people sharing what they've learned so far, making sure that that information spreads far and wide, uh, that lets us all be able to do better work together. And at the end of the day, to me, that's what it's really about. It's not about like having the biggest token sale, making the most money. Like uh, something has fundamentally changed in society with the introduction of this new technology. And we should all be trying to find out how to harness that, use it productively, and prevent the bad things that it could create from actually happening. Uh, And for us to achieve that, we really have to work together. So I, I we have to wrap up in a, here in a second, but I noticed something while going through your material again um, that uh, we haven't really touched on quite yet, and that's the rating system. Um, 
and there's several layers to this. Um, what, what are the criteria for meeting this rating system? Um, what, so, what, yeah, go ahead. So for the rating system, it's really designed on the Michelin star model where you can, you, you can't like start off getting three Michelin stars. You can't start off getting three pen ball marks. Uh, but the idea is that you earn your way up. Uh, once you've proven that you've met the bar for one pen ball mark, then you can apply and try to get your second pen ball mark when you've demonstrated that your contracts have, uh, that you've used security practices that are so much better than most of the ones that have one mark that you deserve a second mark to set yourself aside. Similarly for a third mark. Uh, the idea there is just to make sure that the Panvala mark itself doesn't become like uh, uh, the the ceiling for security. We want people to, we want to encourage people to go above and beyond what other teams have done. So we're continually making progress and what's secure and what's not. Uh, from day one, there's really only going to be a registry for the first mark. Uh, it's really up to the community to decide when to create that second registry and that third registry uh, to add more marks to the system. Uh, but that's the general idea. We don't. We want the community to know from day one that it's not about setting one bar and then making like uh, uh, hiding all the better work that people are doing when it comes to things like formal verification or basically anything that goes above and beyond the minimum standards that people are gonna set. Uh, as far as particular criteria for earning a mark, there are no particular criteria. Uh, it's basically the same sort of thing as a Michelin star. It's not you have to check a box X, Y, and Z to get a certain level. It's that the token holders themselves have an idea of what uh, the next level is and they're deciding whether or not you reach that next level. It's very subjective, and that's the idea. Uh, I think subjective systems can be very useful. Uh, governing them is very difficult, uh, but I think that's what we're going to figure out how to do as a community. So Bernard Mueller, Mueller, Mueller uh, he, sorry, bad, bad for Bernard that. Mueller? Bernard Mueller, thank you. <laughs> uh, he's actually the one who recommended uh, we speak to you and look into your project. Um, uh, he, uh, he does Mithril. Um, and so I kind of assumed that there was some sort of linking between the consensus project Mithril and Panvala, but it sounds like you're building something that doesn't care about tools, doesn't care about methodology. It cares about results and sentiment surrounding those results um, from a social perspective. And I think that's really interesting. But given that tooling is such an issue... Do you see integration of the Penvala system into um, your deployment mechanisms for smart contracts or deployments uh, in general? Just for for you know, can you can you verify that this contract is actually a vetted contract, but just a copy of it, for instance? Um, and does that mark carry over? So I definitely think that anybody who isn't using uh, that who any, anyone who isn't using um, Mithril today that's writing smart contracts is making a mistake. It is really the most useful tool for identifying so many common mistakes that people make when they're writing smart contracts and just giving you warnings so you can fix those even before it gets to an auditor. Uh, that's just a core part of the development lifecycle for smart contracts. Uh, when you've done that, when you've written your smart contracts, it passes all the mithril checks, then you go and you get an audit done from a team that specializes in security. Uh, once you've gotten your audit done, the next step that you take is you go to earn a Panvala mark so you can d d uh, demonstrate to the public that you've met a broad bar for what's safe enough to use. Uh, I think the real integration between Mithril and Panvala comes at the level of the council that's issuing recommendations. I think there's going to be no council that gives recommendations 
to contracts that have clear uh, errors being reported by Mithril. Like it's so easy to run against your contract system that I think every contract that applies for a pen mark is gonna uh, be run under Mithril to see what gets output there. Uh, but uh, it is, Panvala is a system that's very separate for, from things that can be automated. Panvala focuses on things that can't be automated. Uh, things that are more subjective, things that require human reasoning to determine what's safe enough to use and what's not. Uh, and that's, that's where the focus is. But for things that can be detected in an automated way, uh, those humans are going to tie in those tools to make sure that the recommendations they're making are sound. Awesome. I think that's a great way to wrap this up. Um, thank you, Neuron, for coming on the show and, and talking about Ben Hala and the space as a whole. I think uh, it was incredibly useful for me, and I look forward to see seeing a lot of this like come to life. Even my dog is barking in the background because he's <laughs> excited about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It's been great. Uh, for anybody who's interested in being a part of this community as we figure out how to govern this mark, how to govern these grants, I uh, encourage you to join our Telegram channel. Uh, you can find it on the Panvala website at panvala.com. And really just start participating in these experiments that we're running together. Our uh, Panvala Mark demo is something that the public can participate in. Uh, it'll have already happened by the time this episode airs, but we want your feedback on how it went, what could be better, how, what, uh, how we should govern a community that you would want to be a part of. And from there, I encourage you to learn how to actually replicate what we're building so we can build more communities that can cooperate more effectively. Awesome. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. Love it. Can't wait to see how this plays out in reality. Sounds very exciting. And um, I look more forward to hearing your demo. So it'd be great. So audience. Thanks, guys. Uh, for those that enjoyed this, go check them out. Give them feedback. Reach out to them. I know every project that comes on shows like this, loves it when people actually reach out and talk to them. I mean, any, almost the entire community feels that way about everything. So if you like this, subscribe, click the like button, share it with your friends, tell your dog, tell your wife, tell everybody. And how can people, uh, how can people find Panvala? Uh, so the website is panvala.com. We're active on Twitter. Our Twitter name is Panvala Mark. Uh, please follow us there. Uh, those are really the best avenues. From there, you'll be directed to the Telegram channel where you can ask us questions anytime, any day. Uh, we want you to participate. We want to build a system that you want to be a part of. Awesome. Thanks, Karen.